Hello, and welcome to Step Into Light. I'm Laura Barton. And I'm Michelle Jones. Last week, when discussing our lesson, a strong theme emerged, and that is that covenant-keeping people of God throughout dispensations of time have been invited to go to a promised land and or established Zion. Our modern-day prophets have told us that we are to establish Zion where we live, where we stand now. However, there will be a gathering to the New Jerusalem, the New Zion, at some point in the future. We are taught to liken the scriptures unto us. And in the Book of Mormon, in the very beginning, in the very first chapter, we have Lehi's vision that inspires him to take his family and pursue the promised land. And throughout the Book of Nephi, we see examples of those that take this invitation and pursue it. We also have examples of those that are establishing Zion in their heart. And Nephi is an excellent example of this. And at the very beginning of 1 Nephi, chapter 1, verse 1, we are seen, um, we see Nephi, and we get this iconic, it feels like the most iconic, right? It's probably chapter, the... Because it's the most read chapter. I, I, I'm pretty sure this this verse, this first sentence, is the most read sentence of scripture ever. Oh, good. Then I can start with what Nephi says. He says in the middle of this verse... Having seen many afflictions in the course of my days, nevertheless, having been highly favored of the Lord. And right away, we know that being highly favored of the Lord does not mean you will not have afflictions or adversity. It does mean that you have a relationship with our Savior and our Father, our Heavenly Father. Yea, having a great knowledge of the goodness and the mysteries of God, therefore, I make a record of my proceedings in my days. Something tells me that that is not coincidental, that Nephi had to learn to work through some, what does he call it, many afflictions, and that he developed a great knowledge of the goodness and mysteries of God. Right, and we know that he's actually writing this retrospectively 30 years later. And so previous to telling us that he's highly favored of God, he said, I have had challenges this doesn't mean that my life was easy. What it means is that God is not a respecter of persons, but those that stay close to the Lord, that there is strength in that faith, that that faith will sustain you and that you will understand his, his word for you and the revelation and the things that he needs done. And that brings comfort through afflictions and trials. In fact, that's one of the major themes I saw through the first seven chapters is the difference between those. But do you want to go ahead and talk about Lehi's vision? And Jump in. That, that actually so, gets us to where Interestingly, people... one of the things that I saw as a theme that kept coming up again was this very direct um, sharing of how Lehi and his son Nephi and others receive communication from God and how that happened in their life. And there's a lot of it in these chapters because we're covering chapters one through seven of first Nephi today, if we didn't right. mention that already. And so we hear they're, they're at this time in Jerusalem where there's a lot of wickedness. Things are not going well in terms of people living their life in alignment with God and his teachings. And Lehi is troubled about this. There have been some prophets that have been talking and testifying and sharing what needed to be done. And so he went and prayed. And he was praying for the people of Jerusalem. 
which I thought was really beautiful. He right. wasn't just praying because, oh, I, this is yucky environment and... You know, it wasn't focused on himself. Right, he was, was praying love. for the people of Jerusalem. He's praying in love. And as he prayed, a pillar of fire comes. So that's very dramatic, very clear and unmistakable. And it's it says he saw and heard much. So we don't hear a lot more right there. And interestingly, I think we're seeing this pattern for revelation as we see these things. So Lehi's observing. He notices what's happening he goes and prays for the people, and then he sees this literal fire, hears and sees many things, and then he's overcome with the Spirit, which is very understandable. I think we'd all be, in verse 7, we see, you know, he goes home and casts himself in bed. That was exhausting. Exhausting. That was completely is, and exhausting. utterly exhausting. These intense spiritual developing experiences where we, in many cases, I might think of it as like, you level up. You are introduced to a new way of communicating with God. He's overcome with the Spirit. And then, because he's not had enough, we see in verse 8, he's carried away in a vision. And he sees God sitting upon his throne. He sees one descending out of the midst of heaven, our Savior Jesus Christ, and 12 others following him. So he sees all of these in, in all of its beauty, brightness, and glory. And then he gets summoned, and then he gets told that Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. And I'm trying to think. Uh, I may be a little bit confused, but um, and then the other part of the pattern that I see at, in verse 14 is that then Lehi expresses so much gratitude and thankfulness to Heavenly Father for all of these things that he has seen. And I love that you broke that down for us. We talked a lot in the Book of Revelation about. These patterns that we see, we see some of those same things happen here for, for Lehi. He receives a book. I love that heavenly instruction yes. is given to you by a book. But the thing that really struck me was that the one that gave him the book was the Savior. And I just loved that even though we could have gone into more complicated things about this vision, the core of this is, is that the message is Jesus is the way, that there is no other way, that he is the light. And, and I wanted to go on and think about this vision more and more, but when I got to verse 12, where, 13, where it said, Woe, woe unto Jerusalem, I couldn't read on. I got stuck there, and it kept coming to me, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And I was like, cool, okay, let's keep reading. But I couldn't, I got stuck there. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go ahead and look up the scripture that I kept having come to my mind. It's, yes. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets, and stonest them which are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings? And ye would not. And I knew for me that this was a message for me about that state of Jerusalem at the time. And and so hopefully the message that I received that was for me can can maybe I can share with you, Michelle, and you can um, see how it may liken unto that time. Because Matthew 23 is the Savior's talking to Jerusalem at his time. So these are two different times. But it was really interesting to me as I went to Matthew 23 because it's talking about why they stone the prophets, why they're not listening to the prophet. And just because you have the law doesn't mean that there's power in it and that it will bring you closer to Christ. So in verses, I, I started kind of seeing those verses right before there, 13 through 29, and I kind of paraphrased it. It says that when you reject Christ and living revelation, that the, the kingdom is shut up to you. 
that in verse 14, you cloak your greed with piety. Your missionaries are false. Your oaths are without meaning. And you emphasize trivial details and ignore more important things like the law of mercy. In verse 25, you participate in excessive ritual washings that don't really cleanse the spirit. You're whited sepulchers, but within are filthy. And you honor the prophets, but you don't follow their teachings. And so I thought if Jerusalem were like that at Lehi's time, then you could be immersed in the law and you can have this understanding and you can be doing the behaviors of the law, but it does not mean that Christ is part of that, that culture that he was living in. That Jesus Christ, the Messiah, that was prophesied of, was not a focus. Their focus was on the works. And so for Lehi to rejoice so much in the vision he received really for me, confirmed that he had that testimony of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ would come with his light and that people would know that he was the way and that there was no other way. And so it was that very personal experience with the Savior in this vision that I found so sustaining and that when he continued talking about how, how excited he was about this vision, that's what I took from it. So I love that you brought that in and shared that. I hadn't had such an emphasis on that, but as you, like in my own study, but as you were talking, it really connected for me that part of the vision and that remembering from the time when the Savior is speaking to, well, I mean, I guess the recording where he's sitting and looking at Jerusalem, is that, am I thinking of that it's properly? It's exactly from, from Matthew 23. And going back to that first verse where we're talking about Nephi having these great afflictions and therefore having that connection. Cause I was thinking about how they can go together. These, all of these, um, outward things that we do can completely be connected with our intimate connection with the savior, but they, it, we can also have these outward things without feeling that connection. And I think that's what you were saying. And it made me think, of the deepest time in my life when I was struggling, like the struggle was so intense and overwhelming that it was interesting to observe. And part of it, I, I couldn't even observe until just a little bit later because in the moment there was no time for like reflection in that space, but everything else fell away. Like when I look at my testimony at that time and all of the details of sort of the programs or the structures or the functions or even like a lot of the very specific commandments fell away from my mind and it was me and the savior and it was the two of us there working through it together and the power and the clarity that that brought to me is irreplaceable like I would never want to go through that struggle again on the other hand I'm so thankful that it brought such clarity to me that the Savior is the core. He is the center. He is the why for everything else that we do. And then as I came through that experience, building back all of those outward manifestations of my hope and my faith and my strength as I step forward to participate in the work. And it's interesting because what, what, what they were observing in Jerusalem was almost the flip side of what I experienced. Right. And, and again, this is when I, I've said this before, but as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, I am grateful for 
all the programs of the church and all the resources we have, but every single one of them turns us to Christ. And that is the goal of why we have all these things. And so as we were, I, I, you know, as I thought about that, when we looked at the beginning of chapter two, verse 19, at the end, he states that, um, He's in Jerusalem. Nephi states that um, he testified of the things which he saw and heard, Lehi. Yes. And also the things which he read in the book. Manifested these things plainly of the coming of a Messiah and also the redemption of the world. And when the Jews heard these things, they were angry with him. And when I thought, what did they hear? They heard him manifest plainly of the coming of the Messiah and also the redemption of the world. And that rocked their boat, I feel like. But Nephi says at the very end of this, so I'm just kidding. This is the end of chapter one. Chapter one. one. Sorry, it says two at the top of our page, but um, the end of chapter one. This is why Nephi says, I will show unto you the tender mercies of the Lord over all those who he hath chosen because of their faith to make them mighty even unto the power of deliverance, which is just a beautiful way to start the Book of Mormon. This is a beautiful statement that we are about to embark on these, the heritage that we see come forth, that that we'll see the tender mercies of the Lord to those that find power of deliverance in Jesus Christ, that they conquer through their faith, that they overcome through their faith, through Jesus Christ, who is called faithful and true. That is through Jesus Christ that we have faith, hope, and charity. And when you talked about the difference of these people, the difference of what you just talked about, how the Savior brought from the forefront Mm -hmm. versus being focused on something else. That was what I saw outlined when we do a comparison between Nephi and Lehi. The difference between personal revelation and coming to Christ and personal effort and the sustaining power and difference between the two of them is unfolded over and over again as a comparison between the two. And before we move on to see how that continues to unfold, I just wanted to, as you were sharing that beautiful scripture about the tender mercies of God, I I felt to remember some of the conversations that we had in the New Testament where he says, um, the tender mercies of the Lord are over all those whom he hath chosen and a reminder, as we learned and studied together, that that, is, that does not mean he has picked special people that get to have these beautiful things, that really mm-hmm. what that means is that those are the people that have chosen the Savior. Thanks for coming back to that, because it says here, because of their faith, because of their desire. And when I, I actually looked at the topical guide to see how often the word favor shows up, because okay. it's not... It's It's not not the most common. And so I thought it was very interesting that that was the first word that Nephi uses to describe himself. So it's like, I want to see what it says. It's another word for grace. Ooh, I love that. So when you came back to faith, it is through our desire to to grow closer to the Savior that that faith comes, Mm. which brings us grace, which brings us favor. And so again, he is not a respecter of persons, but those that have a relationship with the Savior will come to know the mysteries of God. So they go to, they flee to Jerusalem, they flee out of, Jer- Lehi's commanded to flee Jerusalem. In a dream. And last week, and, and so they they have to leave their comforts behind, right? 
And I think last week you were talking about how hard it is sometimes when we're called to the promised land that we may have to leave things behind. They may not be silver and gold and precious things, but in order for us to turn towards the Savior, we may have to leave cultural things behind. We may have to leave comforts, right? And so that's what they're asked to do. That's one of the first things that they're asked to do. And then, um, so how do they handle that? Well, we see that um, Laman and Lemuel murmur, right? We know that's their thing. And I, 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 did you see the videos when they came out? So the interesting thing is I on purpose didn't watch them. Here's the kind of nerd I am. I didn't want to watch them because I wanted it to be fresh for this year when I knew we were going to be oh, watching Come Follow yeah. Me. So I have watched, we've, we've been watching them together as a family this week, Um there are a series of Book of Mormon videos that have come out that are live action, um, very detailed, very well done. And so we watched the first video that portrays this. Uh -huh. And I thought one of the things that was interesting in the video, it kind of made me think of Lot's wife because Laman and Lemuel, as they're leaving, they keep turning to look back at Jerusalem. They're longing to be there. They're not all in. They, they don't feel that within themselves that they are all in to go. They're kind of going because that's what you did as families in those days. So I've watched probably several of the first few. When it first came out, I just watched as many as I could, and I just haven't looked at them since. But the one thing I really appreciated about it is you just don't have two-dimensional characters, which sometimes in our heads, as you read First Nephi, you just turn them into these black and white characters. Lehi, although he had this miraculous vision, he has this he is a visionary man, Still, still is like, you know, in the downtime, you know, this is painful, right? You you don't have two-dimensional people. Layman and Lemuel come off as pretty obedient in these videos. Yes. Right? And so when we see these Layman and Lemuel just murmuring all the time, um, they were being reasonable when you watch these videos. I mean, they just kept saying... You know, there's nothing wrong with doing what everyone else is doing. We are prosperous. We live in a, we have a lot of comforts. They were a well-off family, you know. So this is the difference I saw. Personal effort versus personal revelation. And how, the difference in what sustains you. So you can be obedient through personal effort. You can pull yourself up from your bootstraps and you say, I'm going to do that. And then you do it. But when you have personal revelation, you know that God has called you to be part of his work. And you have had the desire to know that you're part of your, that work. And when that happens, the faith comes. And when faith comes, that's sustaining. Laman and Lemuel over and over again will have miraculous experiences, which we know, which is so frustrating. How can you see an angel and then murmur? And we will literally see them see an angel, turn around and murmur, because when you rely on personal effort, you can turn around and go, okay, I know what I'm supposed to do. The angel just told me, but shoot, how am I going to do that? Okay, I'm thinking, I'm losing all my resources. I, I'm thinking, nope, nope, I got nothing here. I'm just me. I'm not going to be able to do this. And you're right back to murmuring again because you're relying on your personal effort. And we see that Nephi does nothing of the sort. Which, and I loved it. Which I think, and the other thing that's interesting as you look in the video, I think it really emphasizes that Laman and Lemuel really are the older siblings. They look older. They are men. Right. Right. And Nephi still very much looks like an older teenager here in these videos. And so 
it's interesting, number one, to see that. And number two, I love what you just pulled out about personal effort because personal You'll effort... See, it's going to happen. You're going to see it over and over. Per, personal effort is what brought Nephi to Revelation. And maybe part of the question is, where are we directing personal effort? Because most of us have personal effort on some level, but the difference was that Nephi took his personal effort, directed it to the Savior, and then was willing to let the Savior lead the way, to recognize that the Lord knew better than he did what needed to happen, whereas Laman and Lemuel, they used their personal effort just to try to like make the best of things, which is awesome. It's admirable. It's better than like throwing a fit and rejecting and not leaving Jerusalem. And yet look at what a huge difference it made. Okay, but ding, ding, ding. You just, you just like hit the nail on the head. Personal revelation, of course, it always brings personal effort. The difference is you don't have to do it. You don't have to figure it out. You go to the Lord and you go, okay, Lord, I'm partnered with you in your work. And then he shows you the next step. So when Nephi goes finally into Jerusalem, he's got it. He's got it by that point. He knows that the Lord is going to deliver the plates. He doesn't know what he's doing. But he doesn't have to do it because it's not about personal effort. It's about the Lord. Which in many ways helps you to understand and maybe feel compassion for and relate to Laman and Lemuel on some level because they are stressed out. They are trying to figure out how to do this all on their own. That'd be, that's overwhelming. Like I think of times in my life when I have been the most likely to lose my cool, say something I regret. I'm, I'm oftentimes overwhelmed, stressed. It's not because I'm just lazy and don't care about people. It's often because I'm working so hard and like spinning my wheels. And that is incredibly depleting, which is the opposite of what Nephi is doing as he is, like we've heard that phrase, entering into the rest of the Lord. And I don't think that that is a, a concept that is reserved for next life, celestial kingdom, like relaxing and resting. I think the rest of the Lord in part is a reflection of our recognition that it's not all on us. Right. And so this is the key. Like this is a big deal. This is bringing lower and higher law together. This is bringing faith and works together. This is showing us how hope and faith work together because Nephi didn't not exert personal effort after the Lord revealed everything. There's a lot of work that goes into it. Faith without works is dead. There's This is showing us how that formula actually plays out. It's not that there's no effort involved, personal effort involved after personal revelation. You just aren't the one in charge, and that makes all the difference. And that's what we see. Chapter 2, Lehi and Laman murmur. But Nephi, right, in verse 16 says, Having great desires to know the mysteries of God, I did cry unto the Lord, and behold, he did visit me and did soften my heart, that I did believe all the words which my father um, had spoken. And so it's clear that Nephi had to make an effort, right? But because of his faith, the Lord tells him in verse 19 that because of his faith in Jesus Christ, he, that all those that will listen to him and try to do these and live these commandments can prosper as we look more towards Nephi's example. And one thing that we're going to continue to notice, whether it be angels visiting or visions or 
communication from God or as we get the Leahona in later chapters, there are signs that will come to all of these people and the way that they respond to them are very different. I thought it was interesting, as you mentioned earlier, like that when the angel comes and then two verses later, Laman and Lemuel are struggling again. It, it was interesting for me to observe like, and I don't think that this is a complete thought, but I, I think it ties into what we were talking about before, but that signs, they can strengthen the committed. They are something that give us that much needed in many ways can be a tender mercy, right? Having the angel come and strengthen you. Um, but they don't seem to have very much lasting power if you're undecided, if you're not fully committed, if you're not all in to following the Savior. And I thought that that was interesting because here we have, and maybe Sam had his own experiences as well, but Nephi here is our author, but we have Nephi making this effort going desiring to know he chose that he wanted to know he wanted to have greater knowledge and understanding and he took it to the lord that's our pattern for learning we want to learn we have a desire we go to the lord and we tell him we want to learn we want to know and understand and when and all of that can come together for us and then i thought it was interesting he went and spoke to sam who is his brother and shared with him what had been taught to him and sam believed him Right, and I and and this we see that not only does all of this um, being partnered with the Lord happen, but you also gain a lot of understanding of what's going on. A- another reason to think about Laman and Lemuel and how hard it is for them when they don't understand the, what they're even doing. They're they're doing what they're told to do, but we see here Laban says that we need to get the record of the Jews. So you have to go back now and get the records of the Jews. Um, because this is a record of the Jews, also a genealogy of my forefathers in chapter 3, verse 3. And they are graven upon the plates of of brass. Um, In verse 5, but behold, Laman and Lemuel are murmuring because because of what they're asked to do. And Lehi's like, but I have not required of them. The Lord has asked them to do this. Um, And again, he says, Nephi, go, that thou shalt be favored of the Lord, because thou hasn't murmured, and I know his grace will be with you, right? That's I I have hope, because I know that you can help make this happen. I was, when I read this part, I thought about how in King Benjamin in Mosiah chapter 1 says that because we have these plates, we know the commandments, and we would have suffered in ignorance not knowing the mysteries of God, that it just shows you that this um, request that's made of them is a big deal. It talks about how important these plates are to preserve truth, to preserve understanding, to have the commandments, to to have the mysteries of God, as he says here. These plates are a big deal. When Joseph Smith gets the plates, the, the sword of Laban's in there. And so I spent a lot of time thinking about why the sword of Laban was in there. And to me, it became the sword of truth, that this is... This was a hard thing to do, but these plates and the word of God are so important to sustaining truth throughout, throughout, you know, your, to, to be able to preserve the word of God for the people that need it. And of course, this is where one of my favorite scriptures of all time comes in chapter three, verse seven. When we read the book of Hebrews, I got those, I started calling the faithful ones, the faithful all-stars. And you know, when he says this, Nephi is leveling up to a faithful all-star, right? 
I will go and do the things which the Lord hath commanded, for I know that the Lord giveth no commandments unto the children of men, save he shall prepare a way for them, that they may accomplish the things which he commanded. And how does he know that? He knows that through personal revelation, and it will sustain him through this um, assignment he's given. And I, and, and I wonder if another reason why that sort of Laban is included in with the plates, you know, eventually. I mean, that's a long time for that sword to be kept and protect, you know. Right, I'm fascinated through, that it was preserved, right, right? That like whole time. So it really was of great workmanship. But I thought it's interesting because the sword of Laban represents the Lord's plan. So the Lord has given them a commandment. He's told them what needs to be done. And he already knows the way that it's going to come to pass. And it's interesting because they are obedient, right? We've talked about that. They are obedient and they're like, okay, we're going to go get the plates. But then what do they do? They come up with their own plans two different times. Like it takes like, like, well, the first one, they're just like, dad told us to go get the place from label. Let's go. They go sit down. And he's like, nope. And they're like, oh, that was hard. I guess that's not going to work. Right. So they didn't put in, it right. doesn't even sound like they put in that much effort. Right. So, so they just go and then they kind of gather up together. They huddle up. I'm kind of picturing this and they're like, okay, what would get it for us? And they're using their thoughts and their logic and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, but they're relying on their own plan for how right. to make this happen. So they're like, let's get all the awesome riches that we left behind and take those to Laban. Again, that doesn't work. Now Laban is greedy. He just wants their stuff and he wants to chase them away and kill them. And so, you know, it's really interesting that it isn't until, and then at this point, some of the brothers are like, yeah, we're done now. We've made this full effort. We've tried to be obedient. It's just not going to work. And Nephi leans on the Lord following that pattern of learning and says, I trust that the Lord is going to show me what to do and I'm going to go. And I love how he says, I didn't underline it, which was really kind of foolish, but it says not knowing beforehand, right? He's not sure what he's going to do. Well, that's after. There. Oh, wait, wait. that's the, Here we the go. last one. Sorry. That's, that's at the end. That so is the they, third one. The, I skipped the The second the one is for behold. So I kind of thought it was nice that Nephi's thoughts turned towards the Lord when he tried to go, okay, that didn't work first. Oh, wait, the Lord had a plan, and we left all of our riches. So I like that Nephi's mind is turning back to the Lord for the second step. And so they collected all the riches, and then they took it to Laman and Laban. And um, Laban saw that and thought it was awesome, so he go, went ahead and took it. And so um, it, it's clear that, and then, he, you know, they all are called robbers and chased after. And Laban is a very powerful man. This is very intimidating for them, clearly. And so this is where they get run. They run back into the cave. They're in the cave. Yes. The brothers start smiting um, Nephi with a rod. And then the angel comes and he, and the angel said, no, behold, go to Jerusalem again. And the Lord will deliver Laban into your hands. And, and so, you know, clearly when a, when an angel comes to you, you go, okay, I guess so, right? But but Nephi relies on personal revelation. You know what to do because you're relying on the spirit of prophecy, which is the testimony of Jesus Christ, and that's what gives you the hope and the faith and the strength. But Laman and Lemuel don't have that to rely on, so they're like, okay, I'm going to go back there, but... 
I mean, come on. Laban can command 50 people, which literally he probably could. They're literally saying, what if he sends all 50 people on us? I can't. I don't care because you know why? Because they they haven't relied on the Lord. They haven't seen the miracles that the Lord does. That's scary for them. And in their own minds, relying on their own effort, there's no way they can do that. And, and of course... I was going to say, and maybe, you know, it's interesting because I wrote in this area, we believe in a God of miracles. And I think it's interesting to say sort of like, sure, I read the scriptures and I believe that, that God is a God of miracles. It's a very another thing to believe that that applies to you and to believe that that applies to your assignment, to your journey, to what is sitting before you right now, that I have hope and faith that not only do I believe in a God of miracles, but I believe that that grace and that power can be exerted on my behalf and I'm going to watch it unfold. Well, and that's interesting because that's what Nephi uses to to strengthen um, Laman and Lemuel, he turns to their forefathers, which the tradition of their forefathers they can be familiar with, and that's probably where they get that that um, sustaining desire to be obedient. When he says Moses brought our forefathers out, and we know he parted the Red Sea, and and that that got them on board, and. And that is what, you know, got them to Jerusalem. But it's really funny. It seems to me that they're like, yeah, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. And then when they get to Jerusalem, they're like, well, I'm here. The angel told me to be here, but we're just going to sit here outside the walls. But Nephi crept in. Technically, we're being obedient. Technically, we're here, I guess. (laughs) But this is where he says, and this is where I see the difference. Of course, Nephi exerts personal effort. Of course, Nephi combines his faith with works. But he was led by the Spirit in verse 6, not knowing beforehand the things which he should do, because he knew. He knew. And it came to pass that he saw Laban, and he was told to kill Laban. Now, how does he reconcile that? Because, of course, we know that never at any time had Nephi shed the blood of man. And yet, Nephi has developed a skill where truth comes from the Spirit, and truth he knows where to look to truth. And once that happens, what else can you do? Well, right, because he has developed a, a discernment by by seeking his own connection with God and learning directly from God. He recognizes it. He recognizes what it looks like, what it feels like, how it resonates within him when the Lord is communicating to him. And he knows that that's what's happening right now. He recognizes it. And literally, he can't say, okay, well, I tried really hard. I'm done. I mean, what else? He's not going to go back and just sit around and be like, well, I'm not going to act on those promptings anymore. Like, how else do you live your life once that's how you know how to live your life? And so he says, I will go and do this. And even if, no matter what, no matter what. And so he does. And, and, and he, he goes through this process of, of, of trying to figure out, and again, this is in retrospect that he's writing it. He said, yeah, you know, defending my life, knowing that um, it's more important that one man should perish than a nation should dwindle in unbelief. And, and there, there is a precedence also, if you look in the Old Testament, of people taking others' lives for the greater good. So, I mean, he did, he did have to go through this process of, because this is obviously a big deal. 
But the spirit gave him a second witness and said, you have got to take care of your posterity, that they can perish in unbelief, because if they don't know what the commandments are, they will not be able to prosper. And so he he had to obtain those records. And and with that, he slayed Laban. And, and I love, you know, as I'm reading these verses, verses, you know, roughly 11 through 15, I can feel that wrestle. I can feel that wrestle with for Nephi. And yet in verse 8, it comes down to, I obeyed the Spirit. I did obey the voice of the Spirit. At the end of the day, whatever reasoning and logic that he had, ultimately what he chose to do was obey the Spirit, which by this point he had come to recognize. It was something that he had had experiences with before and could clearly understand it. Right, and he had to do this incredibly difficult task. And then after that was done, miracles just unfolded. It reminds me of... The brother of Jared brought the rocks to the Lord, and the Lord gave him light, but then the Lord sent the winds to make the whole journey of going from the Jaredites' land to the Americas happen. That once we are willing to accept the assignment, that the Lord will do the rest, because I think that's one of the things that I found most interesting of the videos. So I might, this is a little spoiler alert for that's you. That's okay. I don't know how far I got into these videos. I just watched, you know. A few one day. Um, so we always know that Laban... So Nephi puts on Laban's armor. And he goes and talks to Zoram. And you know that he said... Um, okay. So we're in chapter 4, verse 20. And it says, you know, I commanded him in the voice of Laban that he should go with me into the treasury. And I always thought, oh, that's so cool. His voice gets transformed. And he supposed me to be his master Laban, for he beheld the garments and also the sword girded about my loins. And in the video, you realize, yeah, Laban and Nephi didn't have the same body <laughs> at all, <laughs> right? So in the movie, Laban's like the stocky old guy, and Nephi's like this tall and slender guy. And I was like, yeah, no, even with that on, yeah, they don't look anything alike, right? It wasn't just that his voice was transformed. It's that Zoram bought into all of it. He's standing there talking to a guy that's not Laban, and he buys into all of it. In fact, they start discussing where Laban was before, and Nephi's just telling him. And they're having a conversation about talking with the elders, which Nephi doesn't know what he said to the elders, but apparently we're, they're having this long conversation about what happened when he talked to them about the elders. The point is, is that it wasn't that Nephi just got his voice transformed a little bit. No, the Lord just made the rest of this happen. And then Zoram goes with them into the wilderness and they are able to bring the plates back. And then we get to um, Nephi chapter five that starts off with Sariah. And I don't know that there's any person that's ever read the account of Sariah and blamed her for what she states as far as being how upset she was with the situation they were in. I mean, I don't know. Have you ever read this and thought, goodness, Soraya, you're whiny? No. Everybody's like, yes, absolutely. I understand. I think most people that I know, myself included, have felt a little relief that we can have some grief and some mourning and some confusion and some doubt, and we can still be obedient people that are trying to do our best, and those don't necessarily exclude one another. 
Right, because she really goes out and, and, you know, she may even lash out and call Lehi a visionary man. But when they had returned to the tent of their father, behold, their joy was full and the mother was comforted. And then Sariah states, and, and it's almost like, yes, you can have those moments. Because sometimes in life, you've had really hard experiences and a year later, you're reflecting back on it. And there's almost this sense of, why didn't I handle that with more faith? Why didn't I handle that with more grace? I mean, I look in retrospect and I just think the blessings and what the Lord was doing in my life and how I was overcoming adversity and I was changing and I was growing and I was growing closer to the Savior. I wish I had handled that with more grace. But you know what? It's normal and that, we're, that it's hard. And we're human. And it's. I think it's interesting, even this writing that Nephi is giving us, you know, we're able to see the resolution to things just verses after we see the problem presented, and that's not how their experience was as they were living it. So um, the the thing before I comment on um, Soraya's change is that Lehi, I thought the wording was interesting in, cha- in chapter 5, verse 5, um, or, or I'll just read all of this quote of Lehi in verse 4. Um, I know that I'm a visionary man, for if I had not seen the things of God in a vision, I should not have known the goodness of God, but have tarried at Jerusalem and have perished with my brethren. But behold, I have obtained a land of promise in the which things I do rejoice. He doesn't say we will obtain. He says, I have obtained a land of promise. I know that through faithfulness, people receive an inheritance and a promise, right? Which is what this land of inheritance is. It's that the children of Jacob, the children of Israel are promised an inheritance. Um, he, he's already connected to that promise. And it reminds me at the beginning of what I stated in the introduction. President Nelson has stated that the choice to come to Christ is not a matter of physical location. It is a matter of individual commitment. And that if you, that we are to establish Zion where we stand now, where we live now, that if you live in Brazil, if you're a Brazilian, you can establish it in Brazil. If you are an American, you can establish it in America. If you, you know... That this is a, a state of our heart. And so when I heard when I saw Lehi write that, I thought he's obtained that land of promise because he feels that connection with the Savior so strongly that he is already experiencing that in his life and he knows it. And it's interesting because one of the things that I wrote along these verses, and I think you described it well, which is that ha- handling things with grace and faith has this natural effect, but I wrote, calm your fears. And I think as fear comes into our life in various ways, that through the Savior and through his grace, we can calm those fears. And I love what you just pointed out. And I love the present tense that Lehi uses as he shares, because we need to remember they're still in the wilderness. And not only are they still in the wilderness, but they're still pretty close to Jerusalem because they're traveling back and forth for these various assignments. And... But he says, I have obtained, not I will someday obtain, or I have confidence that I will obtain. I have obtained a land of promise. And I am really, really thankful that we have the ability to step into that now in our lives, that it's not something that we have to wait someday to have in our life that 
intimate relationship with the Savior to be in his rest, that that's something we can have now. And and so I think it's beautiful that those are the words that Lehi says to Sariah to comfort her when she complains against him. And then when they return, the Lord blesses her to know that her faith was sufficient for that knowledge, that even though he knows, because what she was asked to do caused her extreme um, distress, we are to mourn those that we lose. We are to love so that if we do lose them, that we are to mourn. It was reasonable that Soraya was struggling so much with this. And and I think an indication of, um, and I'll just speak to my experience as a mother because I'm a mother and not a father, but as a mother, I feel so much tender concern for my children and I don't think that that's wrong or bad. I think that that inspires a lot of dedicated prayer and faith and hope extended on their behalf. And of course, as a mother, all of her children are sent back on this very like dangerous, unknown assignment. Like Soraya also knows who, who Laban is and his strength and his influence and the likelihood that he's just going to hand over the brass plates to her sons. And they've been gone for a little while. And I think it's very understandable. And I think that's why when they do return and her joy is full and that's, there seems to be this quick change with her. And she says, I know of the surety that the Lord hath commanded us. I believe that that surety is there, that as those her sons were away, she was struggling and she was pleading and she was praying and she wanted to have like that perfect faith. But she also knew how dire the situation was. And I just think of moms now as their kids are sent on missions. You know that that mission will transform your child's life, that that mission will bless them, that that mission can help them create a foundation for the rest of their life. It doesn't mean that you go, oh, it's great that I'm not involved in that and I, I'm just letting go of all of that. That's hard. And yet, as she was striving to remain faithful and she listened to the words of the Lehi, when, when they came back, Sariah states, now I know of a surety that the Lord hath commanded my husband to flee into the wilderness. And I also know of a surety that the Lord hath protected my sons and delivered them out of the hands of Laban and given them power whereby they could accomplish the thing which the Lord hath commanded them. I believe that her testimony at that point had really become stronger and that those things had come together and that the Lord had blessed her for that sacrifice. And we've been taught as well about the power that comes from the prayers of mothers. And I have to... There's something about this that makes me feel that those that Soraya's concern and worry over her sons likely inspired some very heartfelt prayers on their behalf, which I'm sure was part of what sustained her sons while they were on this assignment. I believe that too. I think the power, and, and I think we see the power of women in these first seven chapters, actually. Um, in fact... Uh, let's see. Well, first, let's let, let's talk about the power of women, right? But first... Say, and then first, first, 
And verse 9, again, with the rejoicing and the gratitude. I see gratitude right. as a they, theme that keeps ab- running through here. Absolutely. So then what they get excited because they have the plates. So they go through it and they look at their genealogy. And um, and I, I guess this was new information to them because Lehi found out that he was a descendant of Joseph. Yea, even that Joseph who was the son of Jacob who was sold into Egypt, who was preserved by the hand of the Lord... And they were also led out of, uh, preserved at the hand of the Lord. And also, so this is why I think it's significant that they're explaining who Joseph is. Because I think it's very reassuring for Lehi and his family to find this out. So they are sons of um, Joseph who was sold into Egypt, who was preserved by the hand of the Lord, that he might preserve his father, Jacob, and all his household from perishing with famine. And they were also led out of captivity and out of the land of Egypt by the same God who had preserved them. Joseph was sold into Egypt. He became the advisor to the Pharaoh. He received the vision that there would be seven years of famine. And in preparation for that, they took seven years of harvesting and they stored it up. And when Egypt came into famine and then areas around them, people came to Joseph for food. They would have starved without that nourishment. Absolutely. And Joseph, as his descendants know, is an example of of the strength that despite the fact that he was disconnected from his family, which is a big deal when it comes to tribes and, and how the nation of Israel was organized, he did it but he was able to save his family because of the power and the position that he he received eventually. And I don't think it was lost on Lehi that they were leaving Jerusalem and that they were going into the wilderness and that they would preserve their family and spiritually strengthen those that he they were leaving. They don't know when and they don't know what that's going to look like, but we know that they bring us to the Book of Mormon and that the children of Israel will be gathered in the last days. And so to me, as I was reading that, um, that their sacrifice, they really had this spiritual confirmation that, that it would be sustaining for their families in the long run and that you know, they would be preserving the spiritual nature of the tribes of Israel. That these plates of brass, it says in verse 18, should go forth unto all nations, kindreds, tongues, and people who were of his seed. Wherefore, he said that the plates of brass should never perish, neither should they be dimmed any more by time. And he prophesied many more things about his seed. So I thought that was very significant that that's what they they put in their records. Because again, Nephi is doing this 30 years in retrospect. So what he's putting in here is purposeful. Yes. And so connecting that was a big deal. And I did think it was, here's another pattern that we see. I kept seeing patterns of us learning how we can have this same connection with um, God, which is this pattern, you know, they're really like into these scriptures, into the brass plates in verse 17. They, he, he saw all these things. He was aware of the Lord's hand in the lives of these people. Then the next thing, he was filled with the Spirit, and he began to prophesy. So we see this pattern unfolding again in these, um, in the lives of this family. I love that. So speaking of the power of women, I thought it was funny that they um, didn't want to go back and get the plates, that they're fugitives. They don't want to go back <laughs> to Jerusalem. I mean, that's just impossible. And then they're told, we got to go back and get some women. And they're like, there's no, there's no murmuring here. Right. They're on it. They're they like, go back and get them. They're like, let's go. So <laughs> they go get their, they go get the women. 
And apparently um, this family is probably already joined with them on some level. They come with them. Um, Can we just take a minute to note the epic faith of Ishmael? Because Lehi brings his family in this sort of precarious position out into the wilderness as the provider of his family. But we also know that he has seen visions and he has had the voice of the Lord tell him these things. And Ishmael is, you know, maybe he had his own visions, but it doesn't share that. And so all we know is that Ishmael believes in the words of Lehi and his sons that this is the work of the Lord. And he brings his family and steps into that. And I just thought that was a really maybe underrated example of faith that Ishmael had. Ishmael and the and the faith of his family and um, and their decision to be obedient to what the Lord asked them to do. This was presented to them, and they I'm sure they reflected on that and 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 may have gone to pray to know for themselves too. Um, so what happens though is that they in the wilderness again, Laman and Lemuel are very frustrated with Nephi. Now. They, for some reason, think that they, they're they done. They don't want to go back into the wilderness, right? And Nephi's like, well, we need to go back to dad. We need to take everybody back. And, of course, this big brawl happens. Um, and, and they tie Nephi up. And this is where I recognize that everything that we've talked about and the difference between Nephi's faith versus people just trying their personal effort is just really solidified. When Laman and Lemuel tie him up, Nephi does not say, Lord, strike them down. Nephi does not say, Lord, tell them to stop. He just says, Lord, in verse 17, Mm -hmm. according to my faith, which is in thee. That's where his power comes from. According to my faith, which is in thee, wilt thou deliver me from the hands of my brother? Yea, even give me strength that I may burst these bands with which I am bound. He knows he knows asking the what other people would call not rational, unreasonable, doesn't matter. He knows that according to his faith, that things like bursting bands are able to be done because he's seen those miracles and he has faith, hope, and strength in Christ. And Nephi knows where his power comes from. He knows because he has witnessed it, he has seen it, and he's seen it consistently done. And he's the one of the brothers that had the experience of following the Lord in obeying and slaying Laban. And so how much more pure is his faith and his hope at this point? Right. He's growing by leaps and bounds versus Laman and Lemuel who are still stuck in the same pattern. And even after he burst these bands again they still want to strike him down but again women daughters of ishmael and also the mother of ishmael plead with them and softened their hearts that worked for the women to soften their heart um which is interesting because you know they see this miraculous thing like they've seen an angel come to them they see this miraculous thing where nephi is released from these bounds by the Lord's hand, but it's the softening influence of the women that allow them to take a step back and to allow their hearts to be softened and recognize that what they're doing is not okay. Right. And they, when you say soften, I mean, they, 
literally were very apologetic and sorrowful. The word sorrowful for Laman and Lemuel is a big deal. The thing that I think is interesting that at the very end of our reading, after everything that Laman and Lemuel have done and that Nephi's their younger brother that has to chastise them and they're, they want to kill him, he frankly forgave them. That's what it says in verse 21. He just frankly forgave them. them. And so... We always know that Nephi has this amazing faith, this amazing um, sustaining faith, but I really saw that how his faith was strengthened in Christ. We talked in the New Testament a lot about how there are certain positive attributes you can have in this life, but hope comes from Christ, and faith comes from Christ, and charity is the pure love of Christ. And without Christ, you can't have these things. And I just saw that with Nephi illustrated so beautifully as he received per- personal revelations so that his personal works and efforts were were strengthened because he could turn to him in faith. And that is true charity that when they, when they asked for forgiveness, he frankly forgave them. And, and again, they were their bro- his brethren that he then cared for and, and wanted to help in this work and this assignment they were given to, to travel to the promised land. And I think it also shows how this intimate relationship that Nephi is building with the Savior and this trust and this faith, and as he is building that, it really is purifying him. And he is transforming because... I don't think that that is our natural response to the type of behavior that Nephi's brothers had to him to frankly forgive. And so if we see that and think, oh, I'm not sure if I would have been able to respond that way, the key to that really is Nephi's dependence on the Savior and his ongoing experiences that literally purified him so that he could have those responses to his brethren. And that's exciting. And 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 that's good to know because this is what sets up the whole beginning of chapter of, of, of Nephi. And, and then it was the first time I noticed it in the Book of Mormon, and my husband thought it was so silly. I'd never really thought about it that hard before. But this is called the Book of Nephi, His Reign and Ministry. And so it, Nephi sets up his reign and ministry by showing us his journey to become the the ruler that he ends up being he has many other things and tasks that he has to do building ships and leading people and so for me this is his foundation that he shares with us in retrospect about where his strength came from to do all these things yes and i love i'm i'm very much looking forward as we continue to unfold these patterns that the lord is allowing us to have insight how we can connect with God, how we can have our tutoring directly from the Lord to learn and then to have gratitude. And I just feel like saying, grace be unto the Lord. Amen. (laughs) Thank you, Laura. Glory to the Lord forever and ever. Amen. (laughs) Thank you. We'll talk next week.